We're in the book of Psalms. Psalm 12 is where we will begin. It's important to have a Bible with you because we're going to do a Bible study. So, And if you take notes tonight, that as I was just going through this today, I was kind of, I, I put these little yellow stickies so that I can cheat and get there faster to the kind of the cross references that, the, that I'm working through. But um, I realized that I was, I was getting a whole lot of those. So if you're a note taker or I'm going to have you turn with me to a couple of them uh, because it's just, uh, the word of God is just so amazing. <laughs> it's so it's so awesome. The more time we spend in it, the more we realize we need it, right? And the more God meets us in our very lives and right where we are and just so applicable for today. One of, if you've been around for any length of time, you'll know one of, my, one of my real hot button issues is the fact that people say, well, we have to make, we have to make the Bible relevant for today. I hate that word relevant, you know, because the, the Bible is timeless. This is God's word. We don't, you know, anything I try to do to make it relevant makes it irrelevant. It, the, the, Charles Spurgeon one time was asked, you know, how do you defend the word of God? He said, defend the word of God. How do you defend a ravenous lion? You don't. You let it out of its cage and just let it do what it's going to do. And that's what the word of God. So that's what we're doing tonight. Psalm chapter 12. Help, Lord. <laughs> Ever start your prayer like that? Some of the simplest prayers. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak falsehood to one another. With flattering lips and with double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. The tongue that speaks great things who have said, with our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Psalm 12, again, is a psalm of David, and David, no doubt, speaking from experience. He's looking around, and he has the feeling like, man, there is nobody godly left. It seems like everywhere he turns, Everybody who, who would stand up for God, anybody who was godly, anybody who was faithful seems to have disappeared. And it seems like no, everybody's just speaking lies, speaking deceit, talking all these types of things. And again, David talks from experience. He's, he's lived through the times where Saul lied about him. He speaks of, of flattering lips. Absalom, his son, certainly used that against him. And we can feel that way at times too, right? When we look around and we can just get so discouraged because it's like, where have all the faithful people gone? Those that will stand up for the Lord, the godly people. And no doubt as we, as we read through this, that the, they speak falsehood to one another. Lies being just spread everywhere. Half-truths. And it says they're lying to each other. Falsehoods being spoken to each other. And we look around, isn't that just like today? We see it everywhere, that, that this group over here is lying to this group over here. They know they're lying to them, and they're lying back, and they know they're lying, and it's just back and forth. It's like, who could you believe anymore? 
with flattering lips, that, that idea of just speaking flowery words and flattery. But behind it, we know that they, we can see right through it. They're using it to manipulate. They're using it to, to, to get over on somebody so that, so that they can exploit the person and, and use them for their own personal gain. And we see that again everywhere. Double heart. It's, it exposes what's right the, behind it. It's hypocrisy. They're saying one thing to get you to believe and to buy in what they're saying, but they have a total other angle that they're coming with. The tongue that speaks great things, boasting of things, exaggerating, blowing things out of proportion. Again, pride behind all of it. I wonder what David would think if he were to turn on the news today. <laughs> if he were to just look around as to what we are exposed to in the world around us, advertising, all of the stuff that's around, and David would think, oh my goodness. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. And notice again, and, and the, the, the heart that is behind this, verse 4, who have said, with our tongue we will prevail. They're so proud and arrogant that they think, you know, we can control you, we can control others just by what we say and how we say it. But it's so true. It's amazing to me what the world believes and buys into simply because of who said it and how they said it. But the key behind it is our lips are our own. They feel like they are not accountable and responsible for anything that they say. Who is Lord over us? They think that there is there's no repercussions for what they say. If they're ever caught in their lie, they'll just lie another lie and get, a, get out of that. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 12. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Our, our tongue, our mouth, our tongue is that, is that little brother tattletale, you know? Going to mom and dad saying, oh, you won't believe, you won't believe what they just said or what they just did. The tattletale of the heart is our tongue. That's what Jesus is saying. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. You can, you can get over for a little while, but eventually it's going to come out and reveal what's truly in your heart. Jesus continues and says, the good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of the, his evil tre treasure what is evil. Verse 36, though, but I tell you, Jesus says, that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it on the day of judgment. Every careless word. Now, praise God that the blood of Jesus covers us as believers and we won't face that judgment. That doesn't give us, that doesn't give us freedom to use our tongue for whatever we want. James chapter 3 is very clear if you want to read about that. You know, as, as far as us as believers, we should absolutely be known for speaking the truth. Always in every case. We should always use our mouth to edify and to bring up, never to tear down and destroy. Always. He goes on to say in James that out of the same mouth, blessing and cursing come. It should never be like that. Ever. For us as, as believers, but for those that feel this way, our lips are our own, the, who is Lord over us, there will be a reckoning and an accounting for every word that is spoken like that. Now God starts speaking in verse 5, 
Because of the devastation of the afflicted, those who are being taken advantage of by those that are lying and manipulating, because of the groaning of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he longs. God looks out for those who, who are the, the taken advantage of, the widows, the orphans, and those that are being run over, especially his children. Now, when we look at this and we look around and we, we, we see it everywhere, who can you believe? Who can you trust? And here we follow verse 6. The word of the Lord, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will preserve him from this generation forever. That phrase that's used there, silver tried in a furnace, refined seven times. The refining process of silver heated up to the point where the dross and the, uh, the, the, the bad things are risen to the top. Those are scooped off and that process is repeated and repeated until the silver is absolutely pure. And that's what that term seven times means. Seven is the number of completion until it is absolutely pure is what David is saying. And he's saying the words of the Lord are pure words. And because of that, we can trust God and we can trust his word. God cannot be untruthful. God cannot lie. It's not that God chooses not to lie. We understand that by God's very nature, it's impossible for him to lie. And because of that, it's impossible for him to exaggerate. It's impossible for him to blow things out of proportion. It's impossible for him to use flattering things. He has to, to speak of things in, a, in an exaggerated way. We can absolutely trust everything that God says. And I love this also, again, because of God, who God is, he can do something that no one else can. And that is to do everything that needs to be done in order to make sure his promises come true. I don't care what side of the aisle you may be on politically, but if somebody makes these, all of these bold and boastful campaign promises and you buy them hook, line, and sinker, I feel bad for you. <laughs> because, first of all, most of those things are those flattering, exaggerated things to get you to believe in them. But secondly, they don't have the power in and of themselves to make it happen. I mean, I, what are the, what are, all of the, well, I won't raise taxes. Da, 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 da. Well, you don't have any idea what's going to come on down the road that is, might require that type of thing. Not, you don't have control of that. But the great part about God is he does. He has absolute control over all things to make sure that his promises come true. Psalm 119 verse 89 says, your word is settled in heaven. It's settled. It's done there. Jeremiah 1.12, God says, I am watching over my word to perform it. He's watching over it. Every promise, every bit of his word, he's making sure it will come to pass. Isaiah 55.11, my word will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God is in control. He is making sure that every bit of his word comes true. And that, again, as believers, is such a great thing that we can hold on to. In times when everything around us may seem completely out of control, we can hold on to the promises of the one who has everything in control. Verse 8, the wicked strut around, about on every side, 
when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Again, coming back to these others, though, they still boastfully walk around. They still boastfully put out their, their venom. Guys, it's so care- we have to be so careful what we listen to. It's amazing to me. Again, the emails that I'll get, the, the things that I'll hear. You won't believe what I just heard. Where did you hear that? Well, it's got to be true. I heard it on this website or on that station or whatever. You know, And it's just like... The, what, every, what the world believes and runs after and chases after. <laughs> we sang about it earlier. Fear is a liar. Our enemy is a liar. And he's going to continually bring out lies and lies and lies. And the danger of the enemy's lies is he'll sprinkle in just enough truth to get somebody to listen, somebody to follow after. And and that's the, that's the danger, the deception behind what the world offers, what the world promises. Guys, that's why it's so important. And I, God bless you for being here on a Wednesday night and, and studying God's word. And one of the things that I, I talk about with, with others is don't just come on Wednesday night and Sunday and just that's enough. I hope that, that, what, that what we're doing here spurs on for you the excitement to spend more time in God's word and more time studying and more time seeking. Because as believers, we have something that the rest of the world does not have, and that is the Holy Spirit in us to, to, to light up God's word for us, to show us the truth in God's word. And we need to know God's word so that we can spot a phony a mile away. We can, we can sense when there's lies and when it's distorted, and we can hold on to the truth of God's word. Bottom line, somebody will say, hey, that's not good for business, but you don't need me. What you need is your Bible and a quiet time before the Lord. And the Holy Spirit will speak it through God's word, the living word of God, directly to your heart. You, we have everything that we need right here. Yes, God has given, the, given to the church, the pastors and teachers and that type of thing. And yes, so not saying don't come back. <laughs> but the rest of the time, get into God's word. We need, to, we need to have it, read it, study it, meditate on it. Because it's true, and there's so much, so much out there, so many lies. Well, Psalm 13, again, a psalm of David. Verse 1, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? He starts off with four questions. How long, Lord? Anybody ever feel like that? Three of us? Okay, the rest of us are in denial. Okay. <laughs> How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? I used that word purposely. How many of you ever felt like that? Because this is feelings. The problem with feelings is they're often deceptive. <laughs> the problem with feelings is they often mislead us. They take us down into these areas. These, he asks four questions, and I, this is where I want, because I want you to look at these in your own Bibles, the answers, not just take it from me. So, so the first question, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Turn to Isaiah 49. Over to the right, a few chapters, Isaiah 49. Verse 14. How long will you forget me, O oh Lord, forever? 
But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. Here's God's answer. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. How long will you forget me, O Lord? The answer is he hasn't and he can't. He can, ne- he can never forget you. It's not like he, you know, he's going around, he goes, oh, wait a second, because that happens to me all the time. Oh, man, I haven't seen that. What was their name? Or, oh, my goodness. You know, or somebody comes up, do you know so-and-so? And I, no. And then they point me out. Well, of course I know them. Yes, uh, duh. You know, that never happens with God. Everything. He knows everything about you. He knows every part of what you're going through. And I love that in Isaiah there, that picture that, that obviously when the Lord was speaking through Isaiah, Isaiah didn't understand that. But you and I do. I've inscribed you on the palm of my hands. He can't forget about you. He suffered and died on the cross for you. He, he bled himself out to pay for your sin and he knew every one of them as he did. He can't forget about you. That sin is long gone, but he hasn't forgotten about you and he can't. And again, our feelings can be so misleading with that. Secondly, how long will you hide your face from me? If you're in Isaiah there, just keep going to the right a little bit. Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. How long will you hide your face from me? Well, he answers. Verse 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Verse 11, plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. How long are we going to play hide and seek, Lord? How long are you going to hide your face from me until you seek me with all your heart? I'm right here, God's saying. The... The disconnect, God is saying, is not on my part. You seek, you seek for me. You come and look for me. I'm right here. I haven't gone anywhere. We're going to skip the third question. We're going to jump to the fourth one real quick. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Verse 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who is the one who justifies? Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes. Rather, he who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? As long as I let him. In Christ, I am more than a conqueror. 
So if I am letting my enemy exalt over me, again, that's my issue. God's not saying your enemy has victory over you. He's saying you have absolute victory in all things in Christ Jesus. So that brings me back to question number three here. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in, heart, in my heart all day long? I answer that question with, knock it off. <laughs> what, why in the world are we doing that? Why are we, why are we in that position? Now, I come to you saying that like, I got this all figured out and I don't ever deal with that. <laughs> if I said that, I'd be lying. Because I deal with those things. And I struggle with that. And I go, you know, again, I'm in there and I feel like I'm the one, and I'm sitting here and I'm going over it and over it. And why is this? And how come I'm in this? And why do I feel and all of this stuff? And I get the anxiety built up and all of those other things, just like everybody. But bottom line is, why am I doing that? Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. I'm the one holding on to it. How long? Until I put it down. The Bible says that we are to take every thought captive and surrender it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why am I holding on to it? That's a really good question. I'm supposed to surrender it. And when we get stuck in the feelings mode, guys, we need to understand that God says, I can never forget you. Look at the, I have you inscribed on the palm of my hands. I know everything about you. Why you feel like I've hidden my face from you? Simply seek me. His promise, again, is that if we do, we will find him. He's not into hide and seek. His, his face is hidden, but just to draw us close to him. But as soon as we do that, he says, you will find me. And if the enemy is exalted over us, we've allowed that. We've put him in that position. Because the Bible says that we fight from a position of victory. I love this, you know, uh, um, conquerors leave the battlefield victorious, right? More than conquerors enter the battlefield victorious. The battle's already been won. So no, there is no enemy that should have any type of exaltation over us. So I'm glad he doesn't leave it there because here, verse three, we move from feelings to focus. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death, and my enemy will say I have overcome him, and my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But the point is here, the focus changes. Lord, enlighten my eyes. Let me see. Now, I'm going to have you turn here one more, one more place, Ephesians chapter 1. And when you get there, we're going to come back to it in a little bit too, so don't leave that because this is, this is where God had me this morning in my devotion. So that it just was, I was just like later on in the day as I'm going through Psalms, it's like, wow, okay, I know why you had me here this morning. This was awesome. But here, talking about enlightening, talking about focusing, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, for this reason I too... This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. Having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Verse 17, that the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom 
and of revelation in the knowledge of him, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And notice next is why he prays this. So the same thing David's praying, enlighten me, give me the, enlighten my eyes. Paul is praying for the Ephesians church, but he tells him why. Notice, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. Hope, important word we're going to come back to. What is the hope of his calling? What, is, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And verse 19, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? He goes on to describe that power as the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That power focused on us as those who believe in him. Lord, let me see from your perspective. Let me focus differently from sitting down here in the middle of my problem that I'm feeling all sorry for myself for. Lord, let me change that focus. Enlighten my eyes so that I can understand the hope of the calling, the riches of the glory that is to come and the surpassing greatness of your power toward me in all that I'm facing, in all that I'm going through. Enlighten my eyes. Help me to, to change the focus. Notice it goes on and it says, but verse five, I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Guys, when we shift our focus, we move from feelings to faith. But as I've explained before, I love that, especially when it's in situations like this, because that word but now changes everything from what he's been saying. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. I've placed my faith there. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. He's moved from that place of, of being alone and his feelings and his sorrow and his self-pity and all this kind of stuff to a place of rejoicing and singing to the Lord. Faith, faith. I mentioned hope in Romans chapter five. You can jot this down. Beginning in verse three. And not only this, we also exalt in our tribulations. How can we exalt in our tribulations? Glory, sing praise like David's doing in the psalm, singing praise in the middle of our trials and tribulations because we changed our focus, because we now are walking by faith knowing that our tribulation brings about perseverance, patience. And perseverance brings about proven character and proven character, hope. Remember, I told you to remember that. We'll come back to hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This time, the, the, the times of tribulation, that word tribulation literally means crushing. The time when we can be under absolutely crushing times, we can sing out in praise because we know God's doing something. Because God is in control. And the hope that we have, the absolute assurance that we have in this walk of faith, it never disappoints. It never disappoints. Now, interesting, when we look at this back in our in our psalm, in, in Psalm 13 there, notice it does say in verse four, my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. 
again, we'll get, if time permits, we'll get, when we get to the end of verse 15, we'll see that we never will be shaken. But my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. You know, if they think that they get the best of us, they might rejoice. But that rejoicing is very temporary. Notice that same word is used in verse 5. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Guys, my heart rejoicing in salvation is eternal. Their rejoicing might be temporary and very mis misleading. <laughs> Ours is eternal. Again, because of, of who God is. Because he has dealt bountifully with me. That idea there is, guys, he gives us everything that we need and more. Everything that we need to get through the situation that we're, that we're facing and more. That's the idea of bountifully. He does abundantly beyond what we could ask or think. And simply walking in that. And I just, it just, this psalm in particular today just really blessed me because we all go through those times where, we're, where our feelings get the best of us. But it's in those times, I just want to remind, just trying to remember that feelings focus faith. <laughs> Lord, enlighten my eyes. Help me to change my focus off of myself and the current situations. Help me change the focus to understand who you are. That verse in Ephesians, that prayer that Paul prayed, helping us to understand your power toward me. And in that, then, I can start walking by faith, no longer by my feelings. Well, Psalm 14, again, a psalm of David. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. There are different words for fool. And the word that, that, that's used here is not the same way that we would describe fool. However, it still carries with it the simil a similar type of understanding. To say that there is no God, again, takes, takes faith to be able to say, because, because no one can say, I know there is no God. Because in order to say, I know for absolute certainty there is no God, you would have to go and look everywhere for God to make sure that he doesn't exist. I heard that there was one time a Russian cosmonaut that when he, you know, he went out into space, you know, and orbited the earth a couple of times and he came back and he said, I can now prove that there is no God. I was in space. I looked for him and I didn't see him. And somebody responded, said, all you had to do was open the door. You'd have seen him. But... <laughs> But bottom line, it's foolish to say there is no God. The truth of the matter is God has revealed himself to everyone. They choose to, to, to make themselves believe that there is no God. Again, the Lord very clearly reveal, reveals this to us in his word. Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They determine in themselves to suppress the truth. God has revealed himself to all of us. Verse 19, Romans chapter 1, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that which he made 
has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor his, him God or, as God or give him thanks. They became futile in their, expect, in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Eventually, he goes on to say that God gave him over to their, their sinful desires, their sinful passions. Bottom line, God has revealed to us that we are, are created. God has revealed it to us that there is a creator. God has revealed himself to us. The reason we suppress it is because that then brings along the absolute fact that I am accountable to this God who has created me. And those that say, you know, I don't want to be accountable to anyone. I want to do my own thing. I want to be my own God. I want to make my own choices. God allows us to do that, but he doesn't allow us to make up the own, our own repercussions for our choices. And so the fool says there is no God, but unfortunately, because there are so many, that leads to corruption. A corrupted heart, committing abominable deeds, there is no one who does good. Without faith, the Bible says it's impossible to please God. So without believing, we can't do anything to please him anyway. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there were any who understand, who seek after him. They have all turned aside together. There's no one who does good, not even one. Now, Paul uses this in Romans chapter 3 to bring indictment upon all of us that none have got done good that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. He uses these verses right there to say, so are we better than them? No, we're not at all. It's only by the grace of God that we're not in the same situation than they are. That we, we are saved by grace through faith. We are justified, declared righteous, not by our own works. None have done good, but by the, the completed work of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf on the cross. Now, he does draw differentiation here between the children of God and those who deny that there is God or that those who go against God. Verse 4, do all the workers of wickedness not know who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There, there, there they are in great dread, for God is with this righteous generation. You would put to shame the counsel of the afflicted, but the Lord is his refuge. That the, the world, as they come against and speak against and try to, try to tear down and put down the children of God, is saying, God stands up for them. God, when they, when they come against God's people, they are coming against God. And Jesus said as much, right, to when he met Saul on the, on the road to Damascus and said, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Not why are you persecuting the church? Why are you persecuting me? And he says that they would put to shame the counsel of the afflicted, but the Lord is his refuge. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame because we stand with him. And now David in verse seven looks forward to that day when everything will be made right, when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that the Lord is, that the Lord is Christ. That the oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores his captive people, Jacob will rejoice, Israel will be glad. Looking forward to that, that thousand-year reign of Christ. Again, when everything will be made right, everything will be put in order. There will be no, there will be no atheists on that day. Chapter 15. 
O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. Bottom line, the question is asked, okay, Lord, who can be in your presence? Who could come into your presence, into your holy place? Who could not only notice abide and dwell there? Who, who could possibly do that? And the answer simply comes, the only way that we can do that is to be holy, is to be blameless. We can't go into that place sinful. We can't be in God's presence in that way. And that's why I had you stay with Ephesians. I hope you marked that because this is one of those just glorious truths. I just, I love this. I'm having, I'm, as some of you maybe know, in a, in a few weeks, I'm going to be heading over to um, South Sudan to be with the, the chaplains over there for another couple of weeks. I was there three years ago and getting the opportunity to go back and just to minister to them and, and that. And the Lord is really, I've been praying, you know, okay, Lord, what am I going to say? Because I'm going to be there for a couple of weeks and getting a chance to just share with them for a couple of weeks. And the Lord's really laying on my heart this idea of who we are in Christ Jesus. And again, it had me back here this morning in my devotional time. So Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Note this, that we would be holy and blameless before him. That we would be holy and and blameless before him. On our own? No, very clearly in Christ. So when are we in Christ? The moment we believe. The moment we give our lives to Jesus, trust in him as our Lord and Savior. That's what is made very clear over in chapter 2, where it speaks of the fact that uh, verse 5, or I'm sorry, verse 4, it talks about what we were before, our sinful condition, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Verse 4 of chapter 2, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. He's not talking about future for us as believers. He's talking about where we are now in Christ Jesus. And so today, in Christ Jesus, we are holy and blameless before him. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are justified as born again believers. Uh, he took our sin. He became sin for us so that we might become his righteousness. You know, we've heard it said, we talk about this one great way to remember the word justified is it's just as if I'd never sinned. But guys, it goes beyond that. It goes, it's just as if I'd done everything right. Because 
He takes my sin. He takes my life and in exchange gives me his. So who can stand in this place? Who can abide? Who can dwell? Well, we as blood-bought, born-again believers, we can dwell there. We are there in Christ Jesus positionally. Now, that's not where this psalm ends and where we leave this because the important part we need to understand as we work our way through this is it is up to us to live out practically where we are positionally. Our lives are are to be lived out this way, to walk in a manner worthy of this unspeakable gift that's given to us. That, That God looks at us as though we'd never sinned and though we've done everything right. We are to walk in that. We are to walk it out practically. So when it says who walks with integrity, that should describe our walk. Who works righteousness, that should describe our works, the things that we do. The Bible tells us that we, again, right there in in Ephesians chapter 2, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we would walk in them that we would do them. So that should describe us that, and speaks truth in his heart. Again, coming back to that, nothing should come out of our mouths that doesn't honor God. We should, everything that comes out should be truthful. It should be edifying. It should be glorifying God. He goes on to give some things. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor nor takes up reproach against his friend. Again, those things should go without saying, but they're stated. Does not slander with his tongue. He doesn't use his tongue to tear down. He doesn't use his tongue to get up on top. He doesn't use his tongue for gossip. But notice, not only doesn't use his tongue for gossip, nor take up reproach against his friend. Doesn't take it up either. Doesn't listen. Somebody comes to you, if as believers... The quickest way to stop gossip is don't listen to it. I don't have ears for that. In whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. Hate those things that God hates. Sin, the things that harm, the things that go against, but loving those and honoring those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. We shouldn't be wishy-washy back and forth. If we say that we're going to do something, we should do that. We should follow through, even if, it, even if it's painful, even if it costs us. Not changing. He does not put out his money at interest, not taking advantage of others, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent, not that we shouldn't, again, uh, uh, allow ourselves to be compromised. In short, again, living out practically what we are positionally in Christ Jesus. Now, praise the Lord for, again, grace that's given to us. Forgiveness that is extended to us. And because we walk this along and we we stumble along the way, not one of us can say, I'm exactly practically where I am positionally, that will happen one day when we stand in his presence. I mean, that's good. what a glorious day that will be. And we should all be able to say, I'm closer than I was before, but I'm still along the journey. I'm still, I'm still moving along in that. And as part of a body of believers, as we're all moving towards that, guys, that grace that is extended towards us needs to be extended out to one another. I... 
I love the way Joe Foch talks about this. He says, you know, yeah, as the body, it's kind of messed up, but it's the best dysfunctional family going. <laughs> because we all understand where we are. We all understand that we're in a process. And it takes patience as we walk this out together. And Galatians chapter 6 Verse one says, brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. I love that because that can so easily, we need to be reminded of that. Somebody sins, especially if they come against us, if the sin is against us, we can have a tendency to be a little harsher, but no, a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Bearing one another's burdens. And in the context there, somebody who's struggling, somebody who's going through a season of even dealing with some sin in their life, bearing that burden means gentleness. Yes, not, not saying, hey, it's okay, bro. Just keep doing, you know, we get, no. Sin is sin and we need to deal with this. But bearing one another's burdens, man, I'm going to protect you. This is nobody else's business. We're going to walk through this together. We're going to, I'm going to hold you accountable. But this doesn't, that's what, again, gossip need, doesn't get shared around with any. Bearing one another's burdens, protecting one another, holding one another up, lifting up one another as we move along. Again, guarding yourself so that you're not tempted. If anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Paul makes that pretty clear. Don't think you're you're that you're all that <laughs> be careful as we move through this but anyway just to come back I, I just want I, I can't state it enough guys we are there positionally as Christians we can't earn it we can't work for it it was given to us because that's the only way it could be done Christ's righteousness given to us our righteousness no matter how how much we try to do it's like filthy rags to God. It's his righteousness. And in exchange for our sin, that is what is given to us. So that's where we stand positionally. And that can't change. We don't grow in that. That's the other, that's the other part about it. Sanctification is a process. That is an event. That takes place once and it's ours forever. I'm no more a son to my dad today at 50 than I was the day I was born. And the same is true as for us as believers. We don't become more saved or more in Christ the further along we move in our walk. No, we are in Christ Jesus as born-again believers. Positionally, the practically walking it out is what we're talking about. He finishes this psalm with, he who does these things will never be shaken. Will never be shaken. Jesus said, you hear the words of mine and put them into action and do them, you'll be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The storm comes, the wind slams against it, but it doesn't fall because it's built on the rock. The storms of life are going to come. They're going to be hard. I've said this before because we need to understand this as Christians because there's people out there that tell you, hey man, give your life to Jesus and everything's going to be smooth sailing. There are things that are going to come against us as Christians that don't come against the rest of the world. They come against us because we're Christians. But 
do these things, we'll never be shaken. Put, our, put your faith and your trust in Jesus and hold on to his word and live, live that out. Yeah, it's going to come, but we're not going to fall. We might stumble, but we'll never fall out of his hand. Why? Because he's got a hold of us. Again, the promises of God, he's the one who makes sure that they will. And I'll just finish by reading this to you. 2 Peter chapter 1. It's beginning in verse 4. It says, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. I can't even begin to go into that in detail with a few minutes we have left. But man, partakers of the divine nature? Again, us in Christ Jesus. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. In your brotherly kindness, love. All of these things he's already told us, he has supplied to us. It's up to us to put them into practice, put them into action, adding them in. But he goes on to say, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain of the calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Again, a promise of God. Doing the things that he tells us to do, using the things that he's given us to use, his power, we will never stumble. Again, that doesn't mean that we're not going to trip up along the way. What that's telling about is we're not going to stumble. We're not going to fall headlong because he has us in the palm of his hand. He'll never forget about us. He'll never turn his back on us. We'll leave it there. We'll stop, stop there. We'll pick it up chapter 16 next time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the promises in your word. And we thank you that we can own them personally because we are in you. Because we are blood-bought children of God. Lord, I pray that as we meditate on your word, that you would draw us closer and understanding the, all that is ours in you. Lord, that we would be able to, to fully trust you and your word. Lord, that we wouldn't rely on our feelings. We can't deny that they're there. But Lord, when we, when we kind of get caught up in, in that, Lord, help us to change our focus because, Lord, you've called us to walk by faith, not by sight. And when we do that, we have the overwhelming peace that passes understanding. Because you are a sovereign God. A God who loves us so much that you gave your own life for us. We thank you and we praise you for those glorious truths. Lord, I pray that you would just bless this group abundantly. Lord, you know exactly what each one of us needs. Lord, I pray that we would walk out of here today to absolutely trust in you in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.